If you like radio that isn't bought and paid for by the usual bad guys, please subscribe to Truth Jihad Radio. You can go to truthjihad.com or you can visit my substack at kevinbarrett.substack.com. By subscribing, you will get early access and free downloads. Welcome back. This is the second hour of the live broadcast of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett doing a live show every Friday evening right here on Revolution.Radio. Please support Revolution.Radio and its mission to bring absolutely untrammeled free speech to the Internet airwaves. And if you want to support what I do, you can go to truthjihad.com, find your way to my Substack subscription list, get on board, and uh, help out with the financial aspect of bringing these great shows out every single week. So we're right before the big midterm elections, and the question arises, is it still possible in this country to shake things up through the electoral system? Or is everything so bought and paid for and wrapped up that it's kind of hopeless. Why bother to vote? If voting mattered, they'd probably make it illegal. Well, it looks like things are getting a little shaken up through the electoral system these days. Nobody believes the media anymore. A lot of people don't anyway, which is probably one of the big reasons that Trump got elected. And my guest in this first half hour, Rolf Lindgren, thinks that we're going to really see things shaken up in this midterm paving the way for a return of Trump. And then in the second half hour, we're going to talk with Alan Stevo, author of Face Masks in One Lesson, who argues that non-mainstream candidates can get elected, and he has some specific ideas about how that can happen. So anyway, let's let's get going with Rolf Stradamus. Hey, Rolf Lindgren, who's going to win the election? It's going to be a massive red tsunami. <laughs> You mean, you mean Putin's red tsunami, a radioactive 5,000-foot uh, tidal wave that's going to completely wash away the British Isles? <laughs> um, I would Hopefully say not. it'll be the biggest midterm since the 1894 midterms. Not the 1994 midterms, the 1894 I don't midterms. remember those. I, don't th- I think I was, too, you don't remember? Too young, I was too young to vote in those. Well, the, the Democrats went from like 250 seats to like 90 seats in one election and back then they only had 350 people in the house so okay. it's going to be that pretty bad, bad. It, not yeah. that bad not that because bad. It, because of the way the the way the districts are made i would say that the republicans will end up with 240 to 250 seats they need right now they have i think they have around 212 so if they get 30 seats they'll be in the two 240s and the most they the most Republicans have had since the Great Depression is is 250. So sometime in the t- roaring 20s or something like that, they had like 250. And since then, they have not had they've never had 250. So I, there's a good chance we'll, they'll get to close to where they are. Now, one party or another, you know, the, the two party system used to be, you know, pretty much both parties weren't very good. And then gradually that that changed. With first, it started with Ron Paul, and then and then and then the Tea Party movement, and then Rand Paul, and then and then Trump came along, who almost was literally he was really like a third party candidate running as a Republican, 
essentially. He'd never been, he'd never ran for office before. And, you know, and he won the election. And since then, he's been relentlessly waging war on the mainstream media. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a, th- a little bit of a, a kind of a thought question. You know, it wasn't that long ago, 20 years ago, if the mainstream media has 80% of the people getting their news from the mainstream media and 80% of the people believe it, then you got 64% of the people voting for you, right? Yeah. 64%. So you can control, so you can control a national election if you have 64% of the people doing what you tell them to do. Well, let's say that by 2016, the media had 70% of the people getting their news from the media, the mainstream media, and 70% of the people believed it. Well, now you're down to 49%, you see, and that's how Trump squeaked through in 2016. Well, I think now we're down to the stage where six, 60% of the people get their news from the mainstream media and 60% believe it. That puts you at about 36%. Well, 36% is not enough people to control a national election. And that's where we're at right now. And and what's happening is the the people who run the New World Order are trying to ram issues down our throats using the media and it simply isn't working anymore. I mean, one on one issue after another, the New World Order is on the wrong side of the issue. For some reason, they don't care about inflation, they don't care about heavy regulations they don't care about the economy they don't care about cr- the high cr- violent crime rate they don't whoa, care whoa, about wait, the so stop with inflation, Ralph. but didn't the fed just uh raise interest rates because they're yeah trying the fed's to stop been inflation? raising interest rates well that's because inflation is so high that they had that they that that's how right they so, so they do care about inflation they're trying to stop it well they do care about that they, they they cared about it all of a sudden this year what about last year mm-hmm. They yeah, were trying well, to use they, the news media to get you to think that it was okay. Yeah, I, I, they care. I don't know. I think, I think there's actually they don't care. There's been they, a policy do you, do you fight think they between care the, if, the money if, printers if you have and to the pay more printers. money to go to the grocery store. Do you think they really care? They're trying to control. Remember, there's an election this year, too. There's an election this year. Last year, there wasn't an election. Yeah, well, actually, actually Rolf, I, I think that the New World Order oligarchs do care about inflation because they have parked lots of wealth and their ability to grow their real wealth depends on having their uh, wealth grow faster than the rate of inflation in whatever currency they're parking. But it's their not wealth. great. But they, they, but they're, most of their money's in bonds and bonds are growing much slower than inflation. Exactly. So then they, they really must want inflation to come down. Well, they might, but they but they they, they, they they don't care about regular people paying paying more. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, that's true. Obviously, the, uh, the Wall Street the target, economy doesn't the target care much inflation, about the, the target inflation rate is zero to two percent, and the reason why they have it at that rate at that level is that they don't want negative. And this, this is the same with the economic growth. They don't want the prices to go down. But they don't want things to go up too fast because that freaks people out. So they they do want to keep inflation lower. They still want inflation. They just want they don't really like it when it's this high because of course they're gonna you're gonna lose the election. See the the old system though both of the parties were under the control 
of the new world order when both parties are no longer under the control of the new world order. Only the Democrat Party is. So, 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 what, so what's your definition of the new world order, Ralph? The new world order is a shadowy group of globalist billionaires that control the levers of power, especially the military industrial complex and the media and the banking mm -hmm. cartels. Okay, so by globalist, uh, do you mean that they idealistically want to have a one world government or that they want the United States? To I think that they, I think they want a, a one world government. They're not for, see, the people who are in, in the, in this new, so-called new world order, which is really a label, not a real organization, they're not really tied to the United States. That's why things like open borders, why would you have open borders? Why would any country want to have open borders when you also have free welfare for everybody who comes in? They want there. I mean, some places they want illegal aliens to vote, give them a driver's license. And then, of course, you have the crime rate. Also, during the pandemic, you know, you you think you'd, you'd be worried about spread of a virus. But all of a sudden, if an illegal alien comes in, oh, it's OK if they spread a virus. You know, if, if a citizen does, oh, that's a bad thing. You better wear your mask. But if you're an illegal alien, you don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to be vaccinated. But but if you're a citizen, you have to be vaccinated. I mean, it's one thing after another. And what's happened is Trump, probably because he was with these people for most of his life, said, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. He's kind of like, you know, like Buddha, a rich guy who decided to do the right thing and sacrifice everything. <laughs> and, that, that's quite a comparison. And Trump, Trump has been fighting... I mean, he's lost over a billion dollars since he ran for president the first time. He used to be one of the richest people in the country, and he's not not even close anymore. Wow, so, he, so he almost lost as much money as Kanye. He well, he Kanye may have lost more percentage wise, but Trump Trump still has a good has still is still a billionaire. I mean, he has a he has real value because he owns real estate, which is interesting because because most billionaires don't have the majority of their money in real estate. You know, they have it in first in bonds and second in stocks and third is real estate with billionaires. So, so the fact is, is that Trump, tr Trump is not doing what he's doing just because, I mean, if Trump could have just retired and had a good time if he wanted to. Okay. Right. Isn't that what Paul he took Pelosi? the path of the Buddha? He, he wandered in, in a sari with a begging bowl. Yeah, well, he, I'm, trying, I'm trying to quite, imagine Trump wandering in a sari with a begging well, bowl. Well, Buddha gave up all of his world. I mean, Trump didn't give up all of his worldly possession, but what Trump did give up was his his reputation. He was called the Donald. Remember, he was called the Donald. Remember that? When's the last time you heard a, a TV station call him the Donald? Yeah. Not, not very, so he, he, he gave up his nickname. Yeah, he gave up his nickname, but that's that's because the news media because he he was a star. I I remember hearing about Trump back in the eighties. Okay, he was. Yeah, a big, I, I remember a like star. Yeah, yeah, he did. He, he interviewed on all those shows like David Letterman and Jay Leno and Johnny. I don't know if he was right, but he's Trump, just another idiot, bombastic, you know, celebrity TV guest. I mean, I I never yeah even imagined what him he was. becoming president. He probably didn't. And uh, that's right. And he but he at some point decided he wanted to do, you know, he's an idealistic person. He wanted to make the world a better place. And and he's uniquely situated to do it because he was so famous and he had a lot of money. He was able to make make it through the primary and win the primary. He wouldn't, you know, you know, normally people who run like that, they don't do they don't do very well. 
but he ran, he was able to win the first time. And the second time that only a, a virus stopped him, he's going to run again. And in the third time, you know, you know, you know that the, the, the raid on Trump's house was really in some ways invited by Trump, you know, Trump is trying yeah, to, yeah, we, we did our last show on that. So we don't have to go into all the details. Okay, so what, what's going to happen is what's, go, what's probably going to happen next year is that he's going to be charged with a crime while running for president. And he's going to, what he's ultimately going to try to do is destroy the FBI. Well, think of how much publicity he'll get if he's fighting charges while he's running for president. That's right. And, and, and he, and he'll, he'll portray the FBI like the, you know, he's going to portray them as the, is the police, a police state. And, and remember the FBI does a lot of bad things. We've now Republicans are just waking up to the evils of the FBI recently, but you know, libertarians have known about this for decades, decades where they personally, I mean, J. Edgar Hoover goes back before my time and he was doing all this bad stuff, but that's somehow been labeled as left wing stuff. Well, you know, in the, in the, in the early seventies, there was a Supreme court decision that allowed these FBI stings where the FBI agents are basically breaking the law, but then they get the person that they're targeting to do one or two little bitty things. And then they're some supposedly breaking the law as well, committing a conspiracy in, in the Whitmer kidnapping plot, which is the biggest joke I've seen. You know, it almost didn't work there. Now, two of the guys were acquitted. Okay. So two of the people targeted were actually acquitted. So they're not charged, but they just convicted three more people at the state level and they reconvicted they convicted two other guys at the federal level on the second trial, but the, but most people who have viewed that trial think it's a joke. Okay. And something's going to be, something will happen with that case down the road at some time. These, some of these, these people who are, who are basically dupes, but, but the, there was an FBI. See, it used to be that you could, you could just say, this is, in, this is like a violation of due process to have, FBI agents like join a conspiracy that doesn't even exist except for the FBI created the conspiracy. It used to not be legal to do that. Well, it was after 9-11 that that became the normal. They were doing it. They were doing it long before 9-11. You just didn't know about it. Really? I I know that more than 700 uh, prosecutions of alleged Islamic terror plots, yeah. uh, virtually all have been FBI plots that were foisted yep, on some retarded true. Muslim teenager or something. So 700. That's, stuff, I don't no, that's true. That many that's true. That, that every every single not all most of them all of them have been have been FBI plots. But this was going on before 9/11. You just didn't hear about it. In fact, I mean, only in the main reason it's been going on is that the Rehnquist Rehnquist wrote a decision in the early 70s that basically said it was completely legal to do that. You, you, you know about the first World Trade Center bombing where they, the FBI gave the bomb to the, to the guy, and he said, I thought it was a fake bomb. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, this is a yeah. real bomb. Remember that? Well, then, yeah, you know, yeah, he was the chief course. instigator of the bombing, and he was the but FBI he, informant, and uh, he thought the plot was supposed to involve a dud bomb, and then he was taped uh, complaining to his FBI handler afterwards. Uh, but I, I thought it was going to be. That, a but dud that's bomb. irrelevant legally. It's irrelevant legally, though. See, that's the point. It, it would, it wouldn't, it would be relevant legally if the Supreme Court hadn't made this ruling in the early seventies. It would have been relevant legally, but it wasn't relevant legally. At that time, 
and and actually, I believe that the Supreme there's going to be a case, possibly the Whitmer case. Someone's going to there's going to be a, a, a an appeal that will eventually get to the Supreme Court where they just say this is a violation of due process and equal protection to target people like this and get them to participate in a crime when they didn't even remember they didn't really actually do a crime. Okay, they were they were talking about it. They supposedly drove over drove over somewhere and staked that out. They do that every time. They they have they're all the same if you read these cases. They're over and over and over the same thing is alleged by the prosecutors. But the point is is that I think that now the time is ripe and if Trump is going to start talking about these these types of railroading cuz he's going to get if he gets charged then it's going to open up the door. I'm going to tell you. And and that the Supreme Court may make a ruling at some point that these cases aren't aren't legal and then that'll end up throwing out the the Whitmer the the convictions in the Whitmer case. That's okay, what well, I let, let's get back to the elections. So you already yeah. mentioned you thought like what two Republicans will get up in the two forty ish range in the House. They'll they'll have control of the House. How about the Senate? Will they get the Senate as well? The Senate will be at least fifty three seats for GOP, probably fifty four seats including New Hampshire, and then I believe the closest Senate race in the country will be the Washington State Senate race which is being overlooked and and even the GOP is overlooking it because they should be sending more money up there. But there's a candidate named Smiley running against Patty Murray, who I think has been in there for like 30 years. That's probably going to be the closest one. So I would, I would predict 54 seats and it's almost certainly going to be 53 to 55 seats for the Senate well, and the that, Senate. That, and yeah. That, that'll Senate give Republicans a chance to investigate important. stuff like COVID, right? Well, the, the the Senate will just block the agenda of it's very important to take the Senate. The Senate is the critical thing. Also, Ron Johnson will win by seven to 10 percent in Wisconsin and Tim Michaels should win by three to four percent. I'm planning on going to Tim Michaels election night party, by the way. And yeah, I'm actually going to go see that uh, Ron Johnson uh, get together on well, Sunday. We're morning. also going to be at the concourse in Madison, so I may I may want to go to that too. I can't really go to both at once. I'm not yeah, sure what yeah. I'm. Gonna, so so if any listeners but, are in Wisconsin, uh, but, check out the Concourse Hotel uh, Republican Party on election night. Oh yes, thanks. And now the Senate. What, here's what the Senate can do when they take it over. First of all, they can block the judicial nominations of Biden. So what they'll have to do is they'll have to negotiate behind the scenes on judicial nominations. That's what will happen. So that'll basically they won't be, they'll be more in so-called in the middle than, than, than leftist activists. Then they'll be able to investigate and the house will be doing this too. They're going to investigate a whole range of topics like the Hunter Biden, the Miller probe, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, you know, the inflation response, the supply chain response, the the origins of COVID, which Rand Paul will be leading the committee. There'll be all kinds of investigations. Practically everything you've heard Republicans talking about will be investigated by either the House or the Senate or in the for the most important ones for by both. That'll just create a steady stream of news for the alternative news media to cover different things. If you recall back when Obama was president, there was the the two biggest investigations that you used to hear about were Benghazi, which 
which was important, but it kind of people got sick of it after a while. And then there was the Fast and Furious when they were doing the gun running. Those are the two best, biggest names. Well, now there's going to be a lot more stuff to investigate. There's even more stuff than when Obama was. And the FBI and the reason we in the, yeah, the COVID is, is huge. That's one to be the biggest one maybe. And remember Rand Paul is a doctor. Uh, also Ron Johnson wants to investigate that as well. Then also the politicization of the, of law of the FBI in general and the DOJ, the DOJ and the FBI will be investigated. And then they're just going to do the same thing to these guys that they did to Trump that are going to start subpoenaing people. And then people are going to resist the subpoenas and, you know, people like, you know, people don't like, most people don't like to be subpoenaed because it's not, it's really nasty. And if you say something, you can screw up and say something stupid and then be charged. People like, like Roger Stone, who made some stupid comments when he was subpoenaed. And then he, now he's in, I think he's in jail, isn't he? I don't know. Is he on bail maybe? Uh, yeah, but, I think he's still uh, on bail. But these right? guys are, they, these guys do not like to be subpoenaed. So that's another thing that the Senate can do. But ultimately what's important is that, when Trump comes back in 2025, when President Trump is reinstalled, he will have a pro-Trump Congress and a pro-Trump Senate instead of an anti-Trump people like Paul Ryan. He's going to have, for the most part, pro-Trump Republicans in the House and the Senate. The House will pass everything he wants. So the only the only place where there's going to be any real issue is going to be the Senate. Senate will uh, Trump is going to be relentlessly pushing to remove Mitch McConnell from his position, and he's also and remember his new recruits are generally not for Mitch McConnell. If they get a chance, they'll they'll get rid of him. He's also going to be relentlessly pushing to get rid of the filibuster because if you only need 51 votes, you can pass pass anything he's going to be able to, it's going to be it could be an actual revolution a literal revolution in this country so wait, real, which which issues do you think that trump will uh devote his energy to if he gets reelected? i think he's going to going to cut massive numbers of government departments that we don't need practically anything that anything in the government does that they didn't do when jfk was president is pretty much fair game Oh, you mean we're going to go back to a 90% marginal tax rate on the top earners like we had under Eisenhower? No, because Trump doesn't favor higher tax. No, Trump doesn't favor higher taxes. He favors less taxes. I see. So so in that case, we won't be going back to the early 60s. That's not that's that's more that's more taxes. And remember that remember the tax. There was fewer tax deductions back then, too. I mean, you, you could tax deduct more things. It was different. I mean, people did. There was there was a higher marginal rate for that. But. Trump, Trump, Trump's not going to raise income taxes. Trust me. Right. So, so it, let, let me interject here, Rolf. That like I'm you, talking about government. I, I just want to quickly let the listeners know. You know, you, you used to be a libertarian, and then you became a Republican when Trump uh, got in. Is you know, changed the Republican Party. But I'm and, still a libertarian by philosophy. Right. Indeed. And so, uh, I, I find I'm, I'm not exactly as hardcore a libertarian as you are in a lot of respects. And I find the Republicans are on the wrong side of the issue of inequality. And I think a lot of the problems in the U.S. and the world are due to the escalating uh, inequalities. And so Ron Johnson wants to mess with Social Security rather than 
then expand Social Security by taxing everybody. I think it's obscene that Bill Gates doesn't pay the same percentage on his income for Social Security that I have to pay. And that's well, that's how FDR said. That's how FDR set it up. Well, yes. that's the same as buying any right, other right, insurance. Yeah, it, it, it's wrong. We, we could save Social Security and greatly expand it just by making that that same tax. Uh, prefer it really sh it should be a progressive tax. I think Bill Gates should pay a higher percentage yeah. on what his about auto insurance than I have. Bill Gates pay like should Bill Gates pay like eight million dollars a month for his auto insurance? Then too. Well, auto insurance is a is a different subject, but in, well, no, it is. It's still insurance. I mean, what, shouldn't you pay that much for everything then? I mean, you want yeah. why don't we no, just no, make so, see, okay, well, see, here's where, here's where I, I disagree with the libertarian philosophy. But you're not getting more. Why would you pay more for Social Security if he's not getting more benefits? Why would he pay more if he's not getting more benefits? Yeah, because the we have this basic problem in economic affairs that's as old as humanity, which is that the more money you have, the easier it is to make more money. That means that the rich always get richer, the poor always get screwed. And so if you're going to have a civilized society where poor people don't have every reason to go and rob rich people at gunpoint, you need to have a mechanism. It's because we have too many regulations which closes a lot. Or else you're going to have a profusely unfair. We don't even have freedom with all the regulations that we have. We need to get rid of regulations. Uh, Trump. Anyway, but but that said, said that, you know, I, I find that you're, the you're trying to use the government the issue to of inequality. Society. Democrats, even Trump I don't think that's do that. Trump isn't going to do that. Really that that particular He's not going to do that. Uh, so I, I disagree with the Republicans even a little bit what? more than the Democrats. Yeah, but if you're, when you when you're when you get social security, it's like an insurance. It's like getting paying money for insurance. Well, it's not. It's, 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 yes, it is. That's how it was set up by, by infrastructure. FDR. Social security is just like the postal service, which, which but you is, don't is a, pay. Is, why would you pay? Why would you pay the roads on or all infrastructure? Your what, what, when you're not you, getting you any more benefits? On, you want to drive on privatized roads? No, that's infrastructure. That, that's public. Had, we had privatized. We had roads privatized all through the 1800s without a giant government. We still built roads, so that's a joke. Right, but no, I, I I agree with people like Michael Hudson who point out that the reason China is eating our lunch is because they have public banking, which builds public infrastructure and helps the Main Street economy. Whereas what we have is a bunch of yeah, China is, is great I, for I the rich people. You know, Wall Street people rich people who are making money with money. They're devoted to writing the rules so that it's easy to make money. With they don't money. even the have a bill of rights. The easier it China. is to make money. And that writing rules like that and enforcing rules like that for a society is guaranteed to destroy that society. Our society is being destroyed. However, that said, because our I, government I, is too big, that's well, why the government is too big. I, you only let me say the first part of the proposition. So, okay, I disagree with both the Democrats and even more the Republicans on that issue. However. For me, in this particular election, the two key issues are war and peace and censorship. And on both the issues of war and peace and censorship, the Republicans are at least marginally better than the Democrats. So for that reason, I actually am friendlier to the Republicans, despite the fact that uh, I think they're destroying the country and the Democrats are, too, through uh, right, having written rules that favor the, the extremely wealthy and help people with money to make money. And those rules need to be blown up and destroyed. We need a whole new set of rules that makes it harder to make money if you already have money and easier to make money if you don't. And that, to me, that's the, that's the thing is there's just nobody in the mainstream that's allowed to even talk about that because the billionaires have and, and the, the wealthy people have just bought well, up. Most of the billionaires, you know, are in the Democrat Party these days. Yeah, you know I know. That, right? That's what I'm saying is it's not really any yeah. better on the Democratic side. What they do is they try to make it sound like they care about – basically what billionaires are doing is they're trying to make it sound like they really care about 
poor people and then they're trying to get their votes and then it keeps the system alive essentially because if you're a the fact is there's lots of people so the billionaires run these businesses and they go they're going to make money as long as there's people alive who need things they're going to make money because their businesses have guaranteed uh customers who are just going to be running the treadmill and and not getting you know not gaining much okay but that's well, because we'll, that's we'll have because to pick that up on, on a future show because we hit the end of our half hour but i do okay. appreciate it's going to be a massive red tsunami <laughs> That the red tsunami is coming, Trump is coming back, and uh, this is all an interesting disruptive force that we shouldn't be totally hostile to the way most of the mainstream media is. All right, well, thank you, Rolf. Uh, it's always right, great talking to you. Thank you very much. See you at the Victory Party at the Concourse Hotel on Tuesday night. All right, yeah. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Rolf Lindgren, Republican Party activist from here in the great state of Wisconsin. He actually was my campaign manager once back in the day. All right. Well, let's move on to Alan Stevo, the author of Face Masks in One Lesson. Alan Stevo is a leader of the resistance against mandatory masking, among other things. And he's been putting out a whole lot of really interesting information about how disruptive non-mainstream candidates can actually get elected to office. Is that possible? When I ran for Congress and Rolf was my campaign manager back in 2008, I figured I was just sending a message. I figured that a non-financed 9-11 truther would probably... Uh, be lucky to get any votes at all, and it would be more interesting to run that campaign as a kind of a message-sending exercise. So I didn't intend to get elected and didn't run it as if I were. However, Dr. Bob Bowman, who was running for Congress in Florida, said I was wrong. He said, run as a run as a major party candidate and do all the things that can get you elected. And now, after I've heard what Alan Stevo has to say, I'm thinking maybe Dr. Bob Bowman was right. So let's let's uh, let's hear what Alan Stevo has to say. Hey, welcome, Alan. How's it going? It is so good to be with you. Am I coming through loud and clear? You sure are, loud and clear. Fantastic. So, so I've been going um, since since uh, uh, 2020. I've been going up and down the left coast, uh, having organizing meetings, having activism meetings. People, um, as we've spoken about before, people who uh, want want none of these mandates and uh, lockdown land. The emergency measures continue to some extent still two and a half years later. And that means we're running into an election day with a bunch of people who just want the uh, mandates over. So there's just, I'm seeing, even in California, I'm seeing such a tremendous groundswell of uh, people running on that specific issue. That's fantastic. And is it possible, though, to get elected when you're uh, taking that kind of position that has been so uh, propagandized against in the mainstream media? Totally. And this now, uh, for, for example, for example, uh, there will be school boards up for election, uh, about half, half of all school board spots will be up for election in California, uh, on Tuesday school board in California is a nonpartisan election. So that means you can be, you can be a member of a party. You can be backed by a party. A party can support you, but on the ballot, it will not say Democrat or Republican or green or libertarian or whatever. Um, so that, that opens up the door for, uh, for anyone effectively to get elected. Uh, there's no one showing up. You're, you're not showing up with 30% of the electorate voting for the Republican candidate, 30% Republican for the Democrat. And then who knows what the rest go towards, um, which happens in many elections and which makes sense with what you, how you start our segment with saying, Hey, run with, run with a major party. Um, 
when it's nonpartisan election, it can be a very different game. But even this this time around, in the Republican areas of of California, which is pretty much everything that isn't on the coast or in the capital, um, in the Republican, the massive Republican areas of California, um, there's there's just so much antipathy for the uh, for the mandates. So much. It's it's the top issue, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there are parts of the country probably where it's uh, th that's a really good issue. So if if you are uh, running for uh, a you know, state or, or local office in, in that kind of district uh, and you haven't ever done it before, you know, wh wh how would you, you know, wh how, how would you explain to somebody who's kind of considering the idea but doesn't really know anything about it? Like, you know, where do you start? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess before we're done, I'll, you know what, realskibo.com, sign up for my newsletter and keep in touch with me if you are going to run, R-E-A-L-S-T-E-V-O.com. Uh, when, when it comes election time, I do, I do like to help people get moving and, uh, yeah, I've, I've been doing this, I've been doing this, uh, since I was seven years old, knocking on doors, helping people win elections, run elections. Um, how you get started in there's now you gotta, you gotta understand just like any regulated environment, you're going to end up with, uh, a high amount of regulation, which really favors the, the big guy. Um, and no regulation is going to favor the grassroots guy. So you're going to have some kind of infrastructure around you that is saying, pay attention to me, uh, pay attention to the regulatory environment, pay attention to the paperwork, yada, yada, yada. And some people are going to be whispering in your ear uh, saying, oh, you, you, you need to comply with every single thing there and you, you better not ask questions and yada, yada. Now, the way, the way to start a campaign isn't to, to just become an expert in that right away, in my opinion. The way to start any campaign is to uh, go go to your list, go to your list, identify what your resources are, and then then commit to running. Um, and there's all kinds of all kinds of policies in different states about how that has to be done. But that's that's where I'd start, just with the people you know already. That'd be the the very so first by, by your list. Start. You mean your email list? Thanks for clarifying that. That's a little bit of jargon. Your list. Um, if you were running today, if you were starting a campaign for, uh, I don't know, perhaps there's an election coming up in the spring. If you were starting a campaign for an election in the spring today, I would say, uh, let's you and I sit down and we'll go through your cell phone. We'll go through your email list. We'll go through your, your social media list and all these people together, all the people, you know, also your neighbor that you run into from time to time and uh, Aunt Martha that you send Christmas cards to the collection of all people, you know, is your list. And um, you're going to be asking, you're going to be asking people to get involved who might not agree with you exactly, but some people are going to, they're just going to show up to your fundraiser. They're going to show up to your, uh, to vote for you simply because they know you, even if they a hundred percent disagree with you, just because they know you, just because you ask, they're going to help you. So this is the place to start. A lot of people like to look and say, well, I don't have what that person over there has. Well, you have the special resources you have, and that may be much more effective than what that other guy has, even if they don't look uh, so so significant at this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I suppose when you're running for a more local office, 
having that list, you know, have the sort of the more local people on it, the better. And, you know, somebody like me who has a pretty decent sized list compared to the average person, but, you know, people listening to this radio show, for example, many of them are on my list or my sub stack or whatever. They tend to be scattered all over the world. You know, people listening in uh, in Southeast Asia and Australia that I hear from and, and Europe and, and North Africa and Iran and, and all over the place. And so um, I, I suppose, you know, you can maybe leverage that sort of thing to, you know, donations and stuff. But but how, how do you go about like developing that kind of uh, uh, that, that that kernel of support in your local area that's going to be most helpful in these kinds of races? I, uh, something I've done through, through 2020 and beyond is just very applicable in the same situation. Um, and that is, uh, for example, when I saw someone, I wrote face masks in one lesson, I wrote face masks for kids, the face mask, the personal Liberty as it relates to face masks is very important to me. So when I saw someone out and about not wearing a face mask, I'd start speaking to them. And this was an immediate signal that this was my kind of person. Um, and really in a campaign, you're, you're spending time going around trying to as efficiently as possible figure out who are your people and then to pay attention to them and to ignore everyone who's not your people. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, what a campaign comes down to as efficiently as possible identifying who your people are. Um, you know, that, that makes me misc the mask, the masking, because it was so easy to identify your fellow humans <laughs> when they were the ones without the masks. Yeah. Total gift, right? Total yeah. gift. Um, yeah. The uh, going from there, going from there, you are uh, you're trying to identify who your people are, really, whichever, which any way you can. Um, and with that's the local support kind of issue. And I can I can go into more specifics of how that might look like if you want. But that's the kind of the theory there. And yeah, sure. Give me the, give me a more, another concrete example. The, the face mask one was great. Any any more? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. A million, a million. Um, so in when you're running a campaign, you you figure out what the number is. The the person who won that spot last time in a similar election, uh, how many votes do they need? So then we figure out, well, you need this many votes. OK. And then we figure out uh, who are who are the people who are likely to vote for you? Well, maybe for you, it's going to be the Republicans and Libertarians are going to vote for you. And then we say, if we get out, I don't know, 80 percent of the Republicans and Libertarians who always vote, is that going to be enough to get you over that that threshold? And we say, oh, yes, that's perfect. We'll be able to do that. So then we set to work going and finding those Republicans and Libertarians, reaching out to them. Hey, this guy's got the Republican endorsement. Uh, he, he, the Libertarians have been active campaigning with him. Will you vote for him? Well, what does he think about this and that? He thinks this. Yes, yes. And then we're, we're just getting that indication of support. We're getting that person into our, our organization effectively. And we're inviting them to be more involved. We're inviting them to donate. We're inviting them to make phone calls with us. We're inviting them to knock on doors with us. We're inviting them to reach out to their own friends for us. Um, and a lot of things, a lot of people run one campaign at a time. And what ends up happening, this is the Republicans are much better at burning out, burning out their loved ones and their biggest supporters by doing doing this thing I'm about to describe, this horrible thing I'm about to describe. And the Democrats 
are much worse. They're, 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 the Democrats don't do this to their, their loved ones the same way. What the Republicans will often do is they will sprint to Election Day, lose. You won't hear from them for two years, six months, whatever it is. And it's very, very common. I understand why it happens. So I don't, I don't want to fault people who've done that in the past. But uh, a different way you can be looking at it is if you're building an organization, whether you win or lose on Election Day, you're still going to have 200 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people locally who you've reached out to and who believe in you. And whether you win on Election Day or lose, you're going to be able to use your group of 400 people, 10,000 people, however big or small it is. You're going to use your dedicated group to help set the agenda for that office. So you can actually lose and have more control over the agenda than the person who just skated in there and has no, no one built up, no organization built up around him. Because you can contact your 400 people. What if it's only 400 people, small group? If you, if you run a, a few months race, but maybe you just end up with 400 people in your county, we'll say. Those, you write those 400 people whenever there's an important thing at the meeting, at the county meeting, you're going to get 30 people to show up. Do you know what it's like at a county meeting when 30 people show up saying one thing? Powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and that would work if you've got an issue that the people really care about. Uh, and, you know, examples of that would be you know, people being upset about the mandatory masking, mandatory vaccinations, of course. And, and of course, now we're, we're actually seeing the tide turn on that a little bit as the uh, the liberal in the Atlantic is calling for uh, forgiveness and amnesty for all of the terrible things that were done during COVID. And, and then also issues like the kids in school being, you know, given uh, you know, seem you know highly dubious kinds of materials, which gets parents upset. So these these kinds of things that that get people a little teed off seem to be uh, the kinds of things that get them to have the energy to go out to the meetings. Oh, absolutely. These right hot button issues, hot button issues. Um, so we have we have this really neat opportunity right now where, I mean, the hand the hand of the uh, the public health tyrant has been overplayed so severely. So even in California, even in California, this is what I'm seeing that, for example, I had a, uh, a gathering of candidates. Uh, I think there were six candidates, seven candidates that are running for, for office. Um, and, uh, I had, I had folks who cared about the issue of masks and vaccines and other, other topics similar to that get together and asking questions and, then someone, everyone who was there was, every candidate was against the vaccine, against the masks, and then mandating those. And then one of the folks in the audience said, I, I just want to be clear. You guys are running for school board. Are you against the COVID vaccine mandate? Or are you against all vaccine mandates? Every single person up there, every single person up there said, it has to be a parent's choice. That's it. We can't be doing this anymore to the kids. It has to be a parent's choice. We can't be chasing off the good families from this community and from the state. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It's, these are people who would have said three years ago, no, nope, get your kid vaccinated for everything. That's how it's got to be. They've been through so much in three years that they don't even agree with that. They're like polio, measles. 
that's a parent's choice. And this is something that, uh, it's very interesting. That's just the beginning. It's very interesting to hear this. Even in California, the, the, the folks who thought they were going to, to take over the whole world in 2020, they overplayed their hand. This is, they have a very rude awakening ahead of them. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that the problems with the COVID vaccines and the COVID mandates have sort of spilled over. And even the, the mainstream propagandists are admitting now that there's a problem from their point of view, uh, which is that the well-warranted COVID vaccine skepticism around these experimental RNA concoctions uh, really is just an extreme illustration of the way that the other vaccines on the childhood schedule have not been properly safety tested. And the book Turtles All the Way Down goes into the, the nuts and bolts of that in a really reader, you know, user-friendly way. I highly recommend that. Um, so, yeah, they may have actually uh, elicited a huge backlash and they might have to actually do some real studies to see, you know, whether if you if you do these, you know, measles and rubella and this and that, all these childhood vaccines, you test them against a real placebo, a, a neutral placebo. And then you do studies of the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed kids, honest, large scale studies. You know, they, they've avoided those kinds of studies like the plague because they're afraid of what they're going to find. <laughs> and at some point they may actually have to do them. And that could lead to some pretty uh, major revelations. So, yeah, I think you're right. They overplayed their hand on that issue and a lot of other issues as well. People, when they've lost their freedom, they seem to notice <laughs> that freedom is an important issue, don't they? Oh, totally, totally. Um, yeah, that, that book, Turtles All the Way Down, I have, I have uh, heard such, such uh, strong praise for it. Um, there's, been, there's been quite a quite a history on the vaccine topic of people not being able to talk who have a vaccine injured child who uh, see vaccine injured patients. And there, it's a very real, a very real problem that's existed. And suddenly those people aren't out in the cold anymore, the way they used to be. They're, they're formerly fringe ideas. Suddenly they're getting a whole lot of people saying, I, I, I didn't believe you, but I, I really believe you now. Uh, I, suddenly, suddenly you go you go to school board meetings and there's there's not just critical race theory being talked about. There's not just um, uh, kind of pushing agendas on children being talked about. That it's got to be you know education, not indoctrination at the school. But it goes far beyond this, where where people are talking about how to rethink school right now and should schools even exist and why are the teachers unions allowed to give a uh, to give a, um, a campaign donation to the school board candidate who's going to be determining the contract three months hence. This is these are just really fundamental questions are being asked, and even in California, I'm seeing this. This is it's what a wonderful time to be alive. If 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 your listeners if your listeners have made it through all this nonsense. This is like a real reward for, for those who, who've been able to stay the course and to say, I'm, I'm going to stay focused on my values. And for those who haven't been able to stay the course, this is even more time to say, ha, I, I, I took a break. I'm, uh, I'm going to come back into the fight. And this is winning, winning, winning ahead. This is so exciting. And, and I don't know what happens Tuesday, but you know what? From 2020 to now, I've seen it must be 10x, 20x. The, the level of 
enthusiasm people are showing and and stealing elections that's a that's a uh, crime of opportunity if people the more people are simply around the elections are simply convinced that those are their elections not for some paid bureaucrat to 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 control um the more people realize that it's their job as an individual not to outsource but to be involved in the process on election day the more they realize it the harder it is for for the dirties to to pull those crimes of opportunity very very exciting what i'm seeing right now yeah yeah it is i mean i i've been a little bit jaded about american democratic institutions ever since high school when i discovered that there was a problem with the jfk assassination that the whole country wasn't facing and you know like why have elections if you're going to let a bunch of criminals just kill the top guy wide and totally in the open without even hardly bothering to hide it. You know, so I've had a kind of a, a jaundiced attitude about this uh, for my whole life. And yet I, I still can see that, you know, regardless of these problems and this deep level corruption, especially in the higher level federal races, that there there's it's it's still a way of. Uh, communicating and that there is power that's exerted through through the vote to some extent. And I'm actually kind of happy right now about being able to vote for Ron Johnson here in Wisconsin, not because I really agree with all the majority of positions. I probably don't. But I like his fights against censorship and against the covid insanity. You know, during those two years of COVID insanity, we had one guy who was standing up and talking sense about mandatory vaccinations. That was Ron Johnson. So here I am in Wisconsin, and I don't I don't like all of his positions by any means, but he's got a lot of guts to stand up on that particular issue. And that was important enough that I'm kind of happy to be able to you know be a part of that. So, you know. Uh, it's, it's, even no matter how jaundiced you get, no matter you know how depressing the whole system sometimes seems, there's there are you know moments and and parts of it that are uh, energizing. And for me, I, I think the local activism that you focus on is probably less depressing and more energizing because there's less of that corruption. I mean, the, so much of the world, the corruption is low level. You know, you can pay off a cop if he tickets you and things like that. Well, here. The cops at the low level aren't, aren't really that bad most of the time, and the low-level bureaucrats are relatively honest compared to most of the world. But the top level, it's all Jeffrey Epstein. You know, it's it's all you know Franklin scandal. It's all you know satanic cult blackmailed. Uh, you know, the, the corruption is just off the charts at the very top. It's really depressing. But maybe an, an antidote to that is to get engaged at the local level, where it's just folks, and most of them are pretty good people. You know, I, a lot of people, a lot of people, you, you just, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, a lot of people will, they'll bring up to me, you know, uh, Klaus Schwab, who's over in Europe and, and says all kinds of things about how the world should be, or Bill Gates, who says all kinds of things about how the world should be. Um, or, or even they, they talk about um, who, what Joe Biden has said, whatever, whatever is in the news, you know, from 10 minutes ago, or just the more the more you pay attention to these people who who you have no direct influence over uh the more that's going to kind of depress you and the more you pay attention to your your neighbor who's uh wearing four masks still the more that's going to depress you and and this is in all periods of history you have these hyena type people these kind of fauci type people who are looking looking to get one over on someone else and those those folks 
they've never determined the trajectory of history. They've existed as a constant in all periods of time. They just don't determine the trajectory of history. Then there's the the, the vast majority of people. These are they're kind of sheep like. They're they're kind of they're just looking for who to follow. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I'm not trying to animalize anyone. Uh, it just they're just kind of looking for who the best leader is and they want to follow the herd and they don't really want to step out. And that's, that's how a lot of people are built. And we just got to accept that reality and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And the great news is they also don't determine the trajectory of history. There's so you pay too much attention to the sheep. It's going to bum you out. You pay too much attention to the hyenas. It's going to bum you out. Then there's a third group and these lions these lions really do determine the trajectory of history. And it's, are the lions asleep or are the lions awake? And it doesn't even have to be that a certain number of lions are awake or a certain percentage in your life. If I can just, if I take one listener right now and I'm able to speak into that listener's life in a way that, that he or she feels woken up to stand up and, and to go live a more free life, it doesn't matter what Ron Johnson's doing and, and Rand Paul. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Even though those, those guys have fought wonderful fights, in, in, in that one listener's life, he might not change the entire world overnight, but very quickly he can change the world around him as he knows it. And it's just him, him living his free life, being his free self, saying, how do I exude freedom around me? When someone comes at me and tries to shut me down, how do I say, no, sir, no, ma'am, this is how it's going to be. If we're going to interact, it's going to be like this. And to just, just be your, your value-driven self, whatever that looks like, whatever those values are like for you. That's, and, and this politics comes down to it, you know? You can be, you can be magnifying your influence in a political way as well. Um, and there's beautiful things going on at the national level where I, beautiful things are going to happen, I believe, but you're right. There's so much corruption too. And the closer you get to your own home, your own life, the more influence you can truly have. You're here. Well, so how do people get on your mailing list and get your advice to the lions, you know, go out and find, find the lions around you and, and uh, make some noise. Uh, it's, it's good, inspiring stuff. It's a great newsletter and just uh, remind people how they can subscribe. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll, send a little gift that my team and I made too. Um, if you go to realstebo.com slash search, S-E-A-R-C-H, real, R-E-A-L, Stevo, S-T-E-V-O.com slash search. My name is Alan Stevo. Uh, you go there, you sign up, I'll send you, we put together a great study, a great research, some research. If you're still using DuckDuckGo, I'd like you to read my research. It tells you how DuckDuckGo was the worst search engine we identified in terms of censorship. And uh, we give 11 search engines that were horrible. We give two that were fantastic. That's right on the first page. And if you want to read the other 25 pages, it's like shocking stuff about the research we did. But it's, it's good about the search engines, and it's good for any topic people are interested in. So you sign up there, realstevo.com slash search, and you'll be added to that daily newsletter where I, I want to be a voice of encouragement in your life. Okay, well, we need more uh, positivity, especially those of us who are facing the uh, negative aspects of the social situation. And I appreciate your, your courage and standing up for, uh, for what's right and these kinds of matters. So thank you so much, Alan Stevo. Uh, keep up the great work and God bless and uh, hope to talk to you again. And, and they, who knows, maybe I'll run for office again or maybe one of my friends will and they'll, uh, they'll 
uh, hook up with you and get your advice and uh, maybe even win something. <laughs> I like that. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. That's Alan Stevo, Kevin Barrett here of truthjihad.com and kevinbarrett.substack.com where you can subscribe and get early access to the archives of all these shows and more. So that's it. This week's live show. Tomorrow, False Flag Weekly News broadcast, same time, same channel, 11 to noon Eastern time on the False Flag Weekly News channel. Once again, you can find that by way of truthjihad.com. Have a good weekend. 